This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and the Steve Sarkeesian era starts in earnest today as we sit here and record this podcast, this latest edition of the show introductory press conference today january 12th the year of our lord 20 and 21 steve sarkeesian will be on the 40 acres after last night where uh, you talk about ending a tenure with a bang he did it alabama beats ohio state throttles ohio state smashes ohio state 52 24 in the college football playoff national championship and we will talk mostly about that performance and what it means for texas moving forward on this week's program. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? I'm wonderful. And the third member of our team, our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz, lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B., how are you, sir? I'm doing great, and I appreciate the fantastic intro. As always, uh, gentlemen, let's get right to it. We got some serious football to get into. Well, let me get one thing out of the way real quick, Rod. I know you've done your share of uh, cyber stalking already on Steve Sarkeesian, so I'm not going to waste any time on that front and let you get to it. But let me just throw this in there. Uh, I want to thank everybody that subscribes to this podcast, listens to this podcast. Our last episode of Longhorn Blitz, the extended uh, Devil Meat with Cheese edition of Longhorn Blitz, if you will. We went almost two hours talking about the Steve Sarkeesian hire. Uh, our most downloaded show ever. So thank everybody. Thank you so much for your support of this show. You can get long, every episode of Longhorn Blitz wherever you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Subscribe, and don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. Now, with that out of the way, Guys, this was one of the most prolific offensive performances in the history of college football in a game deciding a national championship. Only twice 
Uh, has anybody scored more points than the 52 Alabama scored? Only twice has anybody racked up more total yards than the 621 Alabama piled up on Ohio State. Rod, you're chomping at the bit, so I'll let you take it. Where, where do you want to start with this? Uh, I mean, we can kind of work our way backwards. I guess we can start with that national title game. It was I did not expect an Old Testament style butt whipping like that. I thought Ohio State would put up more of a fight. And even the game plan for Ohio State, I'm not going to take anything away from what Alabama and Sark did because that was amazing. We'll get into it. But that game plan for Ohio State, I don't know what the hell that was, man. Did you watch that? They had three, four linebackers yeah. on the field. What was going on? I did, dude, I swear to God, I did not understand that game plan. That was one of the strangest game plans I've ever seen. It was it was weird. I didn't get it. It was like watching football when I played in, two, in early 2000. <laughs> and I, I kept thinking to myself, do they understand that Alabama – is throwing the football and trying to get it to Devontae Smith as much as possible in as many creative ways as possible, and you got linebackers on the field covering them in the slot? Okay. Good good luck and go with God on that one. I don't know what that that was a that was a coaching fail. That was a dang coaching mistake. That was a coaching that was coaching malpractice, gentlemen. Straight up. And and you know what? God, give it give it up to Sark. Cause Sark saw it, and I'm sure mm-hmm. like a shark, he started drooling at the mouth. He couldn't even he couldn't believe it himself. I'm sure he was thinking to himself, You gotta be kidding me. They gotta be doing something else. This is this is not real. This is not real. Ohio State's not putting linebackers on the field. Are they do they believe that DBs are that bad? Okay. Uh well, I got to tell you, that, that, that number one was upsetting. But number two, and this is probably first and foremost, that game plan for Sark to force feed the football to the Heisman Trophy winner. In that first half, he had 12 targets, what, 11 catches before he ended up hurting his hand, Devontae Smith. And that should get Longhorn fans excited. That should titillate you because we didn't see that enough at Texas finding creative ways to force feed the football to your best players. Everybody in the building, everybody watching, and, of course, Ohio State, they knew where the football was going. At least they knew where, where Bama wanted to get the football. And they had so, he had so many creative ways to give him the football, they, they really couldn't defend him. And I told my girl, I said, that, to me, is that, that sells Sark to the people. At least it should sell Sark to the people. Um, that at least offensively, now I'm not obviously building a program as a lot of different moving parts, but offensively, even though Texas had a top 10 offense this year, he's going to be a serious upgrade. I mean, when they had the orb motion to put Devontae Smith, like he's going to run the reverse or the, uh, or he's going to be the jet motion. And then they bring him back to the other side and they basically kind of won the swing screen with him. Mm-hmm. It's uh that was a beautiful thing. I mean, that was, it was simple. It was simplistically brilliant. And they, it, it was many ways like that they did to get him the football. And Ohio State never figured it out. And by the time he was hurt and out of the game, it didn't matter. They had utilized him and weaponized him and maximized him to the point where he had basically bludgeoned Ohio State into submission. They couldn't, they couldn't solve that, that issue. And schematically as a coach – that's you know that's your one job you're supposed to be able to figure out. All right, let me take this one thing away. You're not gonna beat me this way. No, uh, mm-hmm. Ohio State. Said, uh, Ohio State. I, I'm assuming they tried to take away Devontae Smith in their own way, 
but Sark was able to creatively uh, get him the football in so many different ways. And that offensively does show that he is a guy that has the, he, he, he has access to the cheat codes. Uh, and I've been talking about those for a while. And he uses the cheat codes, the pre-snap motions, the shifts, uh, putting your, moving your best wide receivers around. How often have we said, hey, move your wide receivers around. Put this guy in the slot. Put this guy in the slot. Uh, put this guy mm-hmm. in the backfield like Lincoln Riley would do with a CD lamb um, and scheme that guy open. And yet that's all Sark did in that game scheme Devonte Smith open. It was as a foot, as a guy that's all, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm all about, you know, the football philosophy and, you know, we talk about it all the time. That was, that was, it was artistic to watch. It really was. Yep. hundred percent. I'm watching across the board, just seeing, his ability to find spots, it's exactly what we sort of envisioned. And it's a lot of just simple, modern offensive concepts that are the things that you would see from time to time. But with Texas, it's just something that you want to get that primary focus and get it to your main players. And that's something that we've seen Sark do, too. So it's just sort of a little dip in the water. It's nothing that you're going to actually envision. It's going to be a whole new set of skills and things to do here at Texas. But for Longhorns, you're actually getting the last game of a college football year and something to look at and envy and then be like, hey, well, maybe we can build from there. It's at least cool to see that doesn't always happen. I think, guys, to put it in context for, for Longhorn fans that are wondering, like, how should you view this game? Like, through what prism should you be looking at this game? To take the totality of that performance Alabama had and the historic season Alabama had offensively, and I thought it was poignant. Nick Saban said after the game, he said, look, we're we're an okay defensive team. We're, we're not a great defensive team. He said the offense is the reason why they're as good as they are. And it's they're winning with a different style than Alabama's won with before. Uh, so to look at what they did in the historic numbers, I mean, Devontae Smith set all kinds of SEC records this year, swept the national awards. Najee Harris sets an SEC single-season record for total touchdowns. Mac Jones breaks Colt McCoy's record for single-season completion percentage. Again, just historic numbers. But to put it in perspective for Texas fans, like what should you take from it? What you saw on display, the whole of it, was when elite recruiting meets elite player development meets elite coaching. When you get all of those things coming together like that, you get what we saw from Alabama on Monday night. Now, for Texas, I keep going back to this, and it's it's kind of the one thing, not the one thing, but one of the main things in the Tom Herman era that left me feeling disappointed and it's my big one of my biggest questions about Steve Sarkeesian, guys, and we talked about this last week. Can Steve Sarkeesian be the kind of coach that when the talent evens out or Texas is in one of those games where you need, maybe you're not playing well, you just need that extra lift in a one-possession game because we know there's going to be a lot of high-scoring, close games in the Big 12. There are every year. There are all the time on your schedule. Can, can he give Texas the kind of schematic advantage they did not have under Tom Herman and last night watching that game Monday night gave me the kind of confidence that says yeah Rod as you said those cheat codes with pre-stamp motions and shifts and and knowing your personnel Rod KYP know your personnel coaches talk about that all the time that's really all Steve Sarkeesian did he had one very special player in Devontae Smith and it boils down to how can I get this one special player the ball in multiple ways to attack a defense but is as good as the Devontae Smith stuff was, and when you look at the Texas wide receivers, guys, they don't have a Devontae Smith. Uh, they've got yeah. good players, but they don't have a Devontae Smith. 
But the closest comparison to something Alabama has that Texas can replicate, go look at how Steve Sarkeesian used Najee Harris and how you can use how he can use B. John Robinson. And Rod, we talked <laughs> ad nauseum at the end of the season about B. John Robinson yeah. not getting enough touches. You know, you look at the K State game and the Alamo Bowl, B. John Robinson twelve total touches offensively in both of those games. Najee Harris had eleven touches in the first half of this game. <clears throat> And they used him, obviously used him in the run game, but they used him in the pass game and not just on like a swing route or something. I mean, they're using him on wheels. They're splitting him out wide. They're doing – Najee Harris into the season, guys, catching 43 balls. It's a hell of a lot of balls for a high-volume carry running back. So how Najee Harris has been used, that to me is the most exciting thing about what Steve Sarkeesian is bringing to the table, saying, hey, he can look at a guy like B. John Robinson that we all agree is a, is a phenom, is a potential, potentially a generational talent, and he can, be a, he can potentially maximize that. Yeah, he's on the record. There's a nice clip um, making the rounds going viral among Longhorn fans. Him at a coaching clinic saying he believes offensively the most underutilized weapon on offense on a passing play is the running back. He said they because yeah. it's just a mismatch, right? He's all about the matchup, and we've talked about that on this show. That's why I've you know talked about bringing Jordan Whittington into the backfield, right? Put him in the backfield. Just let, put him in the backfield. Give him a handoff on one play. Put him in the backfield on the next play, and then motion him out and watch a linebacker try to guard him. <laughs> like, yep. Just find the matchup, and he that's that's kind of what Sark's thought process on offense, and he's openly talked about that. So. In uh, Brian Davis, who had a piece uh, with the Austin American Statesman, well done, um, interview with Sark, went to Miami and flew back, I believe, the same day to get it done. Um, he, he he said, um, and he was on B&E this morning, and he said he was talking to Sark, and he was talking to Sark about the Bijan Robinson issue that, you know, um, you know Bijan Ross split, splitting carries and not getting enough carries. And he said, he asked Sark what his thoughts were on that. And Sark said, well, uh, I'm not from that school. All right. I'm not from that school. That ain't where I'm from. All right. I don't, I'm not, I got the best player out there. I'm going to get the ball to the best player. That's kind of what he implied. And that is, that was as simple as Longhorn fans wanted to be, right? Just get the ball to the guy that's averaging 11 yards per carry, which is what Bijan did in the last you know, four weeks of the season, four games of the season, right? Get get the ball to the guy that's averaging, I think he averaged over eight yards per carry for the season. Just simply get it to him. I mean, he's he's that good. Just find a creative way to do it. And honestly, you could argue, I, I've said it before, I think Tom Harmon, that might have cost him his job. He had a lot of mistakes that he made. But if he actually just we- weaponized and maximized Bijan Robinson all season long, hell, man, he probably wins at least one of those games that he loses during the season and he might be in the big 12 title. That's how good Bijan Robinson is. So that in itself, we know Sark combined with Bijan Robinson. We know what the identity of the offense pretty much is going to be creative ways to right. get it to Bijan. And I love, I'm telling you, this is, if you're Jordan Whittington and you're watching that offense, you got to be excited too. I mean, I think it's going to – and people are expecting the Bama offense to just come to, to, to Texas. It's not going to look like that. But it's going gonna, it's right. gonna to be – it's going to look like a explosive offense because there are certain things that he just prioritizes. But the weaponry that he has, guys like Jordan Whittington, guys like Troy Murray who's going to come back, big monster on the outside, uh, Jake Smith in the slot, mm-hmm. and Bijan Robinson – 
I there's no reason to think that it's not going to be an explosive offense. I know the quarterback, whoever that's going to be, that's a question. But just kind of based on the philosophy, just the, my cyber stalking of Sark, uh, there's no reason to think that the offense is not going to be one of the better offenses in the Big 12. Yeah, and if you uh, look at the skill pieces he's used throughout his career, a little bit, say, different than what he'll be inheriting here at Texas. But when you look at what exactly. he has at Texas and look at how he's talked about using these players, it really could be an interesting and perfect fit because, like you brought up, Rod, uh, that little viral piece we're talking about, getting the ball out to running backs, and he even used that baseline of 30 receptions that you've always used to re- uh, talk about touches through the air. And that's something that would be Bijan, you know, you saw the last two games, some very elite level of yardage and production each time that he got a target. He just wasn't targeted very often at all throughout the first 10 weeks of the season. And when you start to look at these pieces, I'm glad you brought up a guy like Whittington. And it's sort of what we talked about, why we loved the personnel at the time whenever Texas had these pieces coming in as five-star recruits. And we could see how in, like, say, an 11 personnel situation or even if you were to go in empty situations or even a 10 personnel or 20 when you go out there and have guys that are Whittington now. He's always just been a wide receiver at Texas, but he has a skill set, as Jake Smith does as a guy, that can be used multitude of ways. And like It's totally different than when looking at something like your Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith combo. But when you go up and down Sark's career, he's always had different pieces and he's adapted around those skill set of his best better players and when you look at those better players at Texas it's going to be so interesting to see because he's going to constantly be able to get these guys on linebackers I mean the Cowboy fans last years were throwing things at TVs whenever Allen Robinson just kept on motioning over until he was matched up on a linebacker and was torching the Cowboy defense then you look at this year you go and look and see the same thing last night with Devonta Smith against Ohio State linebackers and if you look at Texas we got not only Bijan but if you aren't able to get and engineer that mismatch but you have guys with the skill sets of Smith and of Whittington and their ability to be able to get those type of mismatches across the board and who knows what we could see from a guy like Jared Wiley and his ability to catch the ball down the field against mismatches it's the perfect pieces now they're like almost the total opposite of Alabama's pieces but they're going to be able to fit in because he's been able to be a guy that's adapted to what pieces he has. Hey, Rod, real quick, I, I want to get to something. I want to get to something on the wide receiver position, but uh, just kind of some football theory type stuff and some schematic stuff. Going back to that touchdown Devontae Smith had where, I don't, you know, we talk all the time, you know, it goes back to, and we uh, got on to Todd Orlando for it at times uh, for doing stuff like having Joseph Osai in the middle of the field covering 30 yards of grass. And, you know, we said during Manny Diaz's tenure, look, any call where Alex Okafor is running down the hash aimlessly just needs to be thrown out. Um, there shouldn't be there shouldn't be a call that results in Tough Borland trying to cover Devontae Smith. Rod, can you recall wow. that formation? Because I can't pull it up right now. Was that if I'm remembering right? Was it a three by one, and Devontae Smith yeah. is 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 lined up closest closest to the yeah. the, end, the end of the line of scrimmage? Yeah, he's the number three wide receiver. Yeah, uh, yeah, in that formation. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I don't know if you're uh, if you're Ohio State, you to, to not have your players pre-programmed to yes. know where that guy is at all times and everybody yeah. adjusts accordingly is to me 
insanity. That's coaching insanity, dude. That is coaching malpractice. He is the Heisman Trophy winner. You got to eat as a linebacker. You got to know you should be telling safety, dude, I can't cover this guy. Okay. You're pushing help. him. Push him out help. there. Right? I mean, what is going on? That was crazy. And they just acted like he was just another number three wide receiver. Which right. Which like he's a regular OZ. I'm like, what? That's the, that's the best player in the country. You you treat him, you show him the, the proper respect. And you know what? That's why they got whipped like that. They did not show Devontae Smith the proper respect. That was it. That was crazy, man. Crazy. It was but like they're the, expecting it, a Big Ten offense against them. Dude, he that, went unimpeded that. down the field. They didn't touch him. Nobody touched right. Devontae Smith. Nobody got in his way. Nobody bumped him. Nobody yelled and pointed at him. Nothing. No communication. <laughs> he just let Devontae Smith be just hidden in the middle of the formation at the number three spot uh, on the trip side. And I'm like, dude, what is happening? I would be screaming to the top of my lungs. I don't know where the leadership is on that Ohio State defense, but I guess it started at the top. They did not show him respect. Am I am I right? Like, Jordan... During the game, they just treated him like another old guy. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. Are you serious? Dude, I would have treated him like Calvin Johnson. Remember they used to treat Calvin Johnson? They'd have a safety right over the top, like 10 yards over the top, and a corner playing bump and run. That's basically how they treated him toward the end of his career because he was that unstoppable. I'm saying, you're not – Devontae Smith ain't going to beat me, okay? You better find some other way to do it, Sark, because this dude ain't going to do it. You got to – and they they didn't do that. They they did not take – they didn't take anything away. I don't know what they took. They thought they were taking away the run, but they just – Gave up the pass with three linebackers on the field in coverage. It was it was gave up bizarre. the pass to the Heisman winner. What? You will not see that in the Big Twelve, sorry. I love you, but no is going to go out yeah. there with forty personnel and try to play you. So I'm just saying it won't be that day. I mean, that was crazy. It was. It's, I was sitting there looking at it, saying, "Are these guys getting? How much are they getting paid? This is un." Really? You're going to put three linebackers on the field against the most explosive offense in the history of college football? Okay. <laughs> that's that's one of those, Rod, where if you're, if, you're, if you're Mac Jones, your hands are probably shaking at the snap. Like, every quarterback has that moment. Like, surely surely they're not going to stay in this look. Surely they're right? going to shift. And the minute he looks off the safety and sees Devontae Smith climbing the grass, he's got to be thinking, oh, my God, this is six. This is six. I just got to gotta put it there and hope I don't screw this up. Wow. So, anyway. But that gets me to – That's great, though. That gets me to what I wanted to talk about uh, and the the rigidity of Tom Herman with his wide receiver roles compared to what we're going to see from Steve Sarkeesian. Hopefully, if this game and, and Alabama season and what he did is is a, uh, a precursor to what's to come in his time at Texas. And – you know, early on in Tom Herman's tenure, and it goes back to that 2018 recruiting class where you know he had, you know, with with Brendan Eagles, he had his X receiver, and you know Alvante Woodard, he had his his ideal Z receiver, and Joshua Moore, he had his ideal H receiver, and, and I understood that there was a method to the madness, and I got it, like I understood what he was trying to do, and in this, as Texas continues to rod as, as you call it try to solve that offensive identity crisis uh you know i was down with it say hey this guy this is what he needs to make this offense work and he's got you know defined roles and specified roles for these positions go recruit who you need to recruit but it's like he became that offense became so confined to those roles that you couldn't move guys around and 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 like we said it just boils down to getting your best players on the field to where i'd like to see regardless of who's the starting X receivers, a starting Z receiver, whatever. Tell me why you can't have, you know, be in, in uh, you know, 11 personnel, for example, and have Jordan Whittington, Jake Smith, 
and Joshua Moore on the field at the same time with Joshua Moore or Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington outside and Joshua Moore in yep. the slot, which Rod, we, we, the eye test tell, told us the, the numbers from the sites like pro football focus told us companies like pro football focus told us Joshua Moore was probably at his best in 2020 when you lined him up in the slot. And yep. if that's the case, then, then just put him there. If that's where he's more effective, then figure out ways to get him there more. Uh, you know, he, the skill sets and the the physical statures of Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington, they shouldn't be so pigeonholed into a role that if you need Jake Smith to go play outside receiver for a series, he's just his mind is warped and he just can't handle it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like you can't you you exactly. can't be that rigid with your receiver roles. Yeah. And the constraints totally that come with 11 personnel. And, I mean, it was a frustration. And it was sort of at the beginning we talked about the beauty of the concept of being able to be disguisable within those. But basically, if you aren't disguising your players or don't have the multi-use players being able to motion into different positions, then you really become that predictable inside that formation. And it just simplifies the process for the defense so much more that pre-snap there's no confusion. And that's one thing with Sark. Sark isn't married to an 11 personnel we've seen many times. I mean, last year he was forced to put four wides out there because you have four first-rounders. So you had to have dueling slots, and he did that a lot more last season. This season I didn't notice it as much watching Alabama, but it was because of the personnel changed in that. That's one thing that I've really enjoyed because that was the one thing that we didn't see nearly as much change from Herman with the personnel. He wanted to make the personnel fit into their 11 concept, and that was their base, and it was going to be that way for about at least two-thirds, but up to certain years, like it seemed like about 90% of Texas's snaps. Yeah, That's, find a way to put yeah. your best 11 on the field. This is yeah. why you know I kept saying, you know what, all right, then, you know what, in that case – Let's do Bajon Robinson, Jordan Whittington in the backfield. I put Jake Smith in the slot. Um, I can put Brandon Eagles um, at the X, and I can put Joshua Moore at the Z. Stack him with Jake Smith um, so that they can get an easier release, Because and I can move. Uh, I can also be able to move him around, so I'll stack those guys. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. I, and I'll be able to invert them or use a condensed formation to help Joshua Moore or compressed formation, just as Bama did last night, right? A lot of those compressed formations for the wide receivers so that they don't have to worry about getting off of press coverage. They can easily get a freer release. Like all those little cheat codes. And what I love about Sark, if you just watch his offense, he, he loses a ton of cheat codes, rub routes, mm-hmm. moving wide receivers around, putting yeah. them in the slide, the pre-snap motions and the shifts and the funk. Um, he loves the RPO. He literally calls his offense. Like he starts with the RPO. I mean, that's the big, like his thinking of building his offensive game plan starts with the RPO concept was essentially a cheat code within a cheat code. Um, but find a way to put your best 11 guys on the field. And like you said, Matt, he did that last year. I think he did it again this year um, and creative ways to do that. And I, Tom Herman wouldn't do that. He, everything had to fit into his vision of football. Seems like Sark's a lot more open to be able to be malleable in his game plan and in his blueprint. That's to me, that's a strength. Yeah, I hope that's the case. And, you know, it's interesting, Rod, when you look at Steve Sarkeesian and just kind of his evolution as an offensive mind. I mean, you've got to take it back to his time as a player at BYU with Norm Chow uh, and, and just kind of really being really in sync with the West Coast offense as good as they ran it. Like, if you get a chance, like, go back and watch some of that BYU 
uh, that BYU film. Like it is classic West Coast offense. That two those two years Steve Sarkeesian was at BYU. Man, they're throwing a they're throwing a backs. They're throwing a tight ends. Uh, it's really what the West Coast offense almost in its purest form. Uh, you you go from that to his time at USC with Pete Carroll, where it's a lot more pro style stuff. You're getting more of the vertical passing game, uh, and then he goes to Washington and you know really trying to build his in addition to build a program back up. He inherited a program that had a winless season the year before he got there. You know, trying to build that offense with quarterbacks with very different skill sets than what he had, anything he'd had at USC with Jake Locker and then with Keith Price. And Rod, this is kind of the what Alabama's doing now. You can almost say it's kind of a the hybrid of all of that stuff. There are some West Coast concepts. You see some pro style stuff. Uh, you see some stuff that's advantageous to to changing the launch point for the quarterback and, and just not letting him be a sitting duck back there in the pocket. So it's really I, I, it's not a, a complete hybrid of all of those schemes. But what we saw last night and what we saw this season from Alabama. To me, that's a pretty it's a pretty decent snapshot of looking at Steve Sarkeesian, kind of his evolution uh, as an offensive mind, at least at the FBS level. Yeah, and I think the next evolution for him at Texas, you know, kind of going back to what Matt brought up earlier in the show and the differences in between the, the, the offenses and how projecting how they may look because of the personnel and how unique it is at Texas. I believe positionless football is his next evolution here at Texas, or at least it needs to be and has to be. But looking at the the personnel, right, I I remember you saying, Jeff, and I totally agree that Bijan Robinson, he's so talented as a receiver when he first came in, you thought he could play the H. Uh, he could play mm-hmm. that position because he is that talented. He does have that versatile of a skill set. Jordan Whittington is one of those guys that can play in the backfield, also can play in the slot. And Jake Smith, honestly, I do believe also can kind of work in some of your backfield action. I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's one of those guys, but he can. you can hand off to him in a jet sweep for God's sakes, which Tom Herman never did, not that I can remember. Um, so I think if you look at it, and I, I Troy Mary is, a, a, from what I heard, before the injury and hoping he comes back really, um, you know, just as impressive as he was before, man, he, he could be, his size presents such matchup issues for you. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think you can do some freaky things with him as well. And we all know Jared Wiley is just a great athlete. uh, So I think he can be one of those guys you can use a number of ways to be your H back, your tight end, put him in the backfield to be a fullback. So I think positionless football, especially here in the big 12 where multiplicity is big, right on defense. Look at what John Heacock's doing. Gary Patterson has been doing it for years. That that's their, that was their evolution evolutionary adaptation on defense um and lincoln rally is really big into positionless football they always have that hybrid fullback h-back tight end mm-hmm. we don't even know what he is but they always have one of those guys i think that's the next phase of football uh, with these unique athletes and i think for texas you have right now a few of those guys that can make your offense you want to make your offense a unicorn to the point where there's no way they can accurately replicate what you do in practice. So they can't really prepare for it. They can try, they can try to prepare for it, but they can't yeah. really because they can't replicate those type of athletic unicorns you have. Mm-hmm. And in the NFL, I believe like Lamar Jackson is hard to prepare for because who's got Lamar Jackson on their scout team? Who, who name me who? No, RG three is with the damn Ravens. They got both of them. <laughs> so you don't even have anybody to replicate that in practice makes it really tough when you see it for the first time. Um, and that's the case for a lot of things. Derrick Henry is kind of like that too. That's why the Ravens were able to, 
to beat them this time because they've seen them now three times in basically a year span. They've, they've kind of figured out, all right, this is how he works. This is how he plays. This is how he runs. So I think in the Big 12, one of the advantages for Sark could be the unique element of your offense. It makes it not only tough to prepare for because you don't have a lot of film on it. You don't really know how it's going to utilize the pieces, but also just being able to weaponize all the different elements of that offense and how versatile and multiple they are. Yeah, and if you, you brought up the positionless aspect right there and talking about exactly what Sark did this season, if you all remember back a couple months ago whenever a tight end Forrestal went out and it was Billingsley who had to sort of come up, and Billingsley, a guy that really seems and appears to have the skill set almost of a wide receiver, but in a lighter, a bigger frame than, say, your normal receiver, but not at your traditional tight end. And it just reminded me of the dynamic of Brewer to a Wiley and his ability that he changed and Billingsley became quite impactful and Billingsley's a guy that can be utilized down the field but there were two tight ends so different and you could see that difference and it really didn't impact the production of the offense but the way that the offense was used and it was a ton of mismatches where Billingsley was able to get either safeties or linebackers on him and you know we saw earlier or you brought up again earlier Rod the idea of putting Whittington in the backfield and that's another one with the positionless aspect because Sark's the type of guy that gonna engineer that mismatch and if you have teams that are responding the dumb way that Ohio State did now you may not have it in the Big 12 being the same way but if you're gonna just be like oh wait they're showing two back set and not paying attention to who the personnel is and who is the skill set behind that player at that position if you're gonna have teams reacting oh well they only have three wide out there you may get a bigger defense and then all you have to do with those running backs either Bijan or say Whittington is motion them out to get those mismatches and it's just where you enjoy watching good coaching and whenever those things are identified not only are they attacked but then they are just beaten home over and over and over again and those are the sort of engineering conceptual things that can seem very basic but if you have that framework around your entire offense and you almost like build it as a religion that we're going to do these type of things and there's nothing else that we're going to do in those situations it's just maximizing your opportunities and that's something that we saw a ton of from Sarkeesian at Alabama the last two years. Yeah, if see people you know, think that like, oh, what is football theory that's way over your head? Think LSU 2019. Like that's positionless yep. football. Joe Brady, that's what he called it. That's what he wanted it to be. That was his vision. Positionless football. That that's all, that's it in a nutshell. You know what we're really talking about at the end of the day, and like you said, Rod, it's not just football theory that's going to go over the the head of the the lay person here. It's really the one thing Tom Herman was most guilty of offensively. It's not maximizing your talent. And yeah. to, to kind of put it in perspective, and it goes deeper than numbers, and, and I, I pulled these last night, and I, I don't know, I, I worked late into the night, you know, Monday into Tuesday, and, and uh, just pulling some numbers and, and getting some stuff ready because I had a, a few article ideas on my mind. Uh, but I looked at the 2020 Texas offense, Rod. Uh, 475.4 total yards per game. That's the fourth best in school history. Uh, the set, uh, 42.7 points per game. That's the number two score, single season scoring offense in school history. 6.6 yards per play. That's also the second best ever in school history. And you say, okay, well then, yeah, the offense was elite. If you're t- talking about those numbers, when you think about the some of the offenses at Texas, when you're talking about the wishbone offenses, the Vince Young, Colt McCoy offenses, that, that offense was elite. 
No, because you look at the three losses, uh, they didn't break 31 points in regulation in any of those three losses. And, you know, you had, was it, the offense scored under, scored 29, they got 31 with the safety in the TCU game, and then 20 in the Iowa State game. It just, you didn't have the schematic advantage, the ability to, on the biggest mm-hmm. stages and the most critical moments, feature your best personnel. Your, you know, and it was really kind of, the offense devolved, like it hit a peak at some point late 18, yep. early 19, and then it devolved by the by the end of Tom Herman's tenure. And what do we see down the stretch? Like, especially the Oklahoma State game kind of encapsulates it, guys. It was, well, yeah, just put the ball in Sam Ellinger's hands and hope he can go make the game. Like, that's pretty much what it was. That wasn't that wasn't a plan. You're just riding on faith that, you're, that your quarterback can go make a play. But that's really, when we talk about the pre-snap motion, the shifts, positionless football, all this stuff we're talking about, it's about can Steve Sarkeesian look at the personnel? And does Texas have Alabama's personnel? No. But nope. it's not like they've got Prairie View's personnel either. No disrespect to Prairie View. I don't know why I always use Prairie View <laughs> in these analogies. But, yeah, but it, you know, it's not like it's not like the cupboard is bare. By no means is it bare. It, it, you've got, you know, you've got a lot of pieces from classes, recruiting classes in 18, 19, and 20 that at 24-7 sports nationally we, we rank three, three, and eight. It's three really good recruiting classes back to back to back. And it's all a matter of if Steve Sarkeesian can look at the personnel and say, okay, within the framework of my offense, how can I make all these pieces work? And, again, with everything we've talked about today, guys, I'm I'm confident that he can. And if you can, then if you can make it work and you can maximize what this offense can be, then in a year where I think we can all agree that the Big 12 is going to be better than it was this year, especially at the top. Like Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma's probably going to be preseason top two, top three. Yeah. Uh, I, Iowa State's bringing everybody back but Jaquan Bailey. They're going to be a preseason, I don't know, top eight, maybe top five. They for Iowa State, beforehand. so you're going to have two elite teams, two legitimate national title contenders. So in the in, in the first year of the Steve Sarkeesian era, if you can put it together offensively to allow yourself to compete for a conference championship, to be in the mix for that in this Big Twelve, then at that point, I think you'll feel like okay, you're on the right track to something. Knowing that you're going to have a 2022 season with Bijan Robinson as a junior whoever your quarterback is at that point will have a full year as a starter under their belt. Ideally, you'll bring back most of your offensive line from year one to year two. Like, it's just you can have a make yourself, get yourself off to a really nice start just by simply knowing your personnel and, and being able to maximize it. Yeah, that will be the challenge. And, of course, that goes back to the coaching staff, right? That goes back to can you bring in a coaching staff that can actually get to – the heart of the issue for Texas and this, it, you know, this downturn that they've been going through for the last 10 years uh, that continues now with the, uh, the fourth coach in that time span is, can you develop the talent? At one point, Texas, it was bringing in the best talent uh, in the country and they still are bringing in some of the best talent in the country, but they also were developing that talent. And you've pointed this out several times, Jeff, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. One of the key mistakes, and it continues to be relived like Groundhog Day around here on the 40 Acres, is the mistakes made with the initial coaching staff. 
and yep. Tom Herman did it. Charlie Strong did it. Um, you know, made mistakes on that initial hire against coaching staff, and they were stubborn mistakes with kind of a lack of vision, if you will, um, and maybe even lack of, lack of experience too. And if Steve Sarkeesian can somehow avoid reliving those same mistakes that Tom Herman made with his initial staff and Charlie Strong as well, and then they had to, of course try to revamp the staff, but it was too little too late for both of them. Um, I think he can, like you said, kind of get things started on the right track early on, but developing talent is going to be big guys. And that goes back to the individual coach. Those are your assistant coaches that help you develop talent. You as a guy, you know, Nick Saban can only do so much. He does a great job hiring coaches. That's why Texas is going to the Nick Saban coaching tree. But if you can't develop the talent that Texas has, then you're going to find yourself probably back here in the same cycle three or four years down the line. You know, next week we'll talk about coaching hires because we should have, by the time we record a show again, we should have, if not a full 10-man on-field staff, pretty close to a complete. But I'll leave you guys with this. And we talk about the quarterback situation a lot, and and rightfully so, because it is the most important position on the field. And you look at the relationship between Steve Sarkeesian and Mac Jones, and I'm not saying that's going to be Steve Sarkeesian and Casey Thompson or Hudson Card year one, uh, but that combination, you know, that combination of Steve Sarkeesian and whoever that quarterback is. Ideally, if it works out the way you hope it does, you're going to get a couple of years with that guy. That by the time their eligibility is over, hopefully, you know. That's an extension of Steve Sarkeesian on the field, and the offense can really click with, hopefully, you continuing to recruit at a high level or you recruiting at a high level and bringing in personnel. But the hire that Steve Sarkeesian's got to nail, guys, is the offensive line hire. I'll give you a stat. Rod, I know you like stats, and and some stats we talk about are good. Some are not good. This would definitely be in the latter. Uh, Since 2004, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, since 2004, Texas has signed 41 blue-chip offensive linemen out of high school. That's not counting grad transfers or JUCO guys. So 41 blue-chip signees for Texas on the offensive line since 2004. Not a one of those 41 was an NFL draft pick. That's sad, man. Yeah, that goes back to what you were saying about Tony Hills. You know, Tony Hills was the last one that ended up becoming a draft pick, and he was a tight end that came in. You got to go yeah. all the way back to Blaylock. And then Connor yeah. Williams was a three-star. A three-star. Sam Cosme. Yeah. And that's great, Four. but that goes back to maximizing your talent. It's great that those guys are three-stars and became NFL players. That's amazing. you got to have that in your program. And, yep. yeah, Bama's got that. But Bama's also make sure that they're four- and five-stars. Those guys are NFL players, too. Um, so, yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell. That's a great stat, and it's also a very sad one. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave this week's show on that note, and uh, we'll pick it up next week. Like you <laughs> said, today as we sit here and record this Steve Sarkeesian introductory press conference today, uh, and we'll have it all for you at Horns 24-7. Uh, also on 104.9 The Horn, everything uh, everything you need to know about the, the new era of Texas football, the Steve Sarkeesian era, uh, it is off and running on the 40 acres. And with that, uh, that is going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. on the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. 
You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 Podcasts anywhere you get your podcast to get each and every episode of Longhorn Blitz. You can also get each and every episode of State of Recruiting and the flagship just by searching Horns 24-7 Podcasts. And don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.